0: You know Mike Mayock is the lead draft analyst for NFL Media. He's a former Steeler, Giant, and Argonaut. Has been inducted into the Boston College Varsity Club Hall of Fame after flourishing in both football and baseball. He's been nominated for an Emmy. He knows a thing or two about commercial real estate, but most of all, he's a son, a husband, a father, and a football guy. Hello, Mike.
1: (laughs) Good morning, David. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Mike, I I found your bio. In the CBS Sports archives, and I'd like to read it to you. Once upon a time, you used to work for CBS Sports. Uh, Here it is, and it's from 1999. Mayock is in his third year as a reporter for the NCAA tournament on CBS. He joined CBS Sports in 1996 and has served two years as a college football analyst. He worked as an analyst and sideline reporter for ESPN's college football and Canadian football broadcast from 1993 to 1995, He also served as the sideline reporter for ESPN's Baseball Across America. Dude, (laughs) that was almost 20 years ago. Uh, I'd say you've come a long way.
1: Well, really, the genesis of my career, if you want to call it that, is if if you're not a pro, Pro Bowl Hall of Fame type NFL player, you've got to do it differently. And... I was in commercial real estate, and to make a long story short, I, I knew I had to be back in football somehow. It was just in my blood. And what I realized very quickly was I had to do a little bit of everything to create um, some reality within this business that I took it very seriously. I was always prepared, and I didn't want to be a sideline reporter, That that, but I had to do it to get my foot in the door. So I did sideline in the CFL. I did arena football. Uh, As you could see in that bio, I was a sideline reporter from the the CBS basketball tournament, which I absolutely loved because I was a gym rat growing up. And I did baseball games as a sideline reporter. So I did everything I, I thought I had to do to create credibility within the infrastructure of this business. And trust me, it wasn't easy.
0: Did you ever have any doubt about it? Because you you hooked up with NFL Network when they kicked off in 2003. Was there any point between the time that bio was written and 2003 where you thought that maybe sideline reporting and Canadian football was the peak of the mountain?
1: Well, look, there's there's an economic reality when you're a dad and you've got two children. And the economic reality for me was obviously I've I've got to put food on the table and provide for my family. And... Excuse me. What what I did know was that there wasn't at that point enough money for me in, in the industry to leave commercial real estate. So I'm trying to juggle a bunch of different jobs at that point, and there was a ton of doubt. I mean, when you're making, you know, 1500 a game to, to go do a CFL game or an arena game or a low level college game or whatever, you know, you, you're not making enough money to feed your family. So, uh, I had to hold on to the commercial real estate thing, which was a full-time demanding job with a lot of travel. And while I was doing that, I'm trying to climb this ladder to get myself up in the booth and show people that I really do know the game of football at a level where I can be an analyst. But I can't tell you how many people told me throughout my career that you'll never get there. You, you don't have the name recognition. Nobody can put you in the booth because you don't have – the name recognition as a former player. So, uh, sure. I I was told a million times that I'd never make it, and I'm one of those kind of contrarians. When you tell me something like that, I I can't wait to punch back.
0: So it it must have frustrated you when you saw other players who made a Pro Bowl or whatever get in the booth and and totally flop when you're sitting there going, I I know I I can do this job five times as well as this guy could.
1: Look, I'm frustrated to this day. I, I really am because um, I think, and I, I, you know, we've talked about commercial real estate and think about this. In, in commercial real estate, I ran a division for a major company where we were buying hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate every year. And so I was involved with finance partners. I was involved with equity partners. I'm involved with putting deals together um, with huge numbers. So I'm dealing with high level people in different parts of our industry, that industry, finance, real estate, et cetera. And at, the more I got into the television slash sports industry, the more I realized that it's the only business I've ever been around. I'm talking about sports now where the guys doing the hiring, know less about the product than the guys they're hiring. Mm. So you think about it and the decision makers at all the networks, what do they know about football compared to me? Yet they're going to compare me against the five-time Pro Bowls and the Hall of Fame guys. And go no, I want the name recognition. I would, the advertisers want the name recognition, and I contend. And you know, the example I try to give people all the time is, you know, who the heck was Kirk Herbstreit before yeah. ESPN gave him a platform? Sure. I mean, I don't even. Um, he, he was a one-year starter at Ohio State. I don't even think he went to an NFL camp. Yet he is at this point in his career the guy in college football, and that's because somebody at ESPN believed in him, developed him, and gave him a platform. And I think in just about any any other industry, that's what it's about. It, it's about hard work, knowledge, the ability to communicate, and Kirk has taken advantage of that opportunity. And there should be a lot more Kirk Herbstreets out there, but I think the decision-makers are afraid to put those type of people, like Kirk or myself or Charles Davis, I think they're afraid to put us in the high profile slot because they want the Peyton Mannings and the, the Tony Romo's.
0: Well, it might be that the sponsors want those guys because to them. It's part of it. Yeah. I'm sure that's a part of it because in a perfect world, you would want the most educated, informative analyst doing a game. Do you?
1: And, and by the way, I get the Peyton Manning thing. I know Peyton personally and I'd love to have Peyton in the booth because I think he'd do a great job. Sure. but there's a a burn rate, a turnover rate of a bunch of those kind of guys that come into this industry, and they think they can just trade on their name for the next 20 years. And they don't stay current, they don't work at it, and they don't care.
0: And then some of them go on to be the coach of the Oakland Raiders.
1: (laughs) Hey, John cares. I know, I know. John cares, John works at it.
0: I know. Um, Who who was the guy that gave you your break, and, and what's the story behind it?
1: Well, I mean, if we're going to talk NFL Network, I mean, it, it, there, there's a funny story really behind the whole thing. I and mean, that is I got an audition at NFL Films, and it was for the show that became Total Access, which is the primary show on the mm-hmm. network. Yep. And it was me and a whole bunch of big name guys. And I knocked, I thought I knocked it out of the park. And I got a call the next day from Howard Katz, who at that point was running the NFL network. He's still with the NFL network, the NFL. Mm -hmm. And Howard had run ABC sports and he called me into his office and he said, Mike, we're going to offer you a job, but not the one that you auditioned for. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you don't have a big enough name for that show, but you did so well in the audition. What we want you to do is kind of take the college football scene and the draft and kind of you be our guy because ultimately we're going to have to big picture, try to develop awareness of the college players, the draft, et cetera, because that's the gateway into the NFL. And we you to drive that. And I got mad because I was just like the whole frustration to get here. Here we go again. Another big name. You know, I don't have a big enough name yet. I, he loved my audition. Why not give me the job? So I ar- argued, with Howard. I was in his office. I'm like, man, there is no future for me at the NFL network being the college guy. It's the NFL network, not the college network. I don't want to be the college guy. And he was kind of like, listen to me, Mike, trust me on this one. There's only one guy out there, Mel Kiper, who's doing this thing, and we don't know how to do it. And you can take this and drive it in any direction you want. And that appealed to me. Yeah. So. You know, I, I took the job and I quit my commercial real estate job and I took a big pay cut to do it. And what I was thinking of was, you know, and, and I'm taking a big chance at that point to take this pay cut and go with this fledgling network. Uh, and it was the best decision I ever made. And whenever I see Howard Katz, I thank him.
0: That's awesome. That's cool. And and so big props to Howard for recognizing what your strength is and putting you in a position that you could do some really good things in. Well, I
1: I don't know if it had anything to do with, he didn't know I was going to be a good evaluator or, you know, I mean, what he saw was a guy that loved football and had some communication skills and would be a gym rat and work his tail off. And I think that did dovetail into what, what the work ethic necessary to do the draft is. Yes.
0: Sure. But I I think that's part of the formula for being, a good evaluator just in general when it comes to the nfl is that you have to work your tail off you have to be willing to put in the extra time uh, ask more questions make extra phone calls and and put in the hard work and my guess is that howard saw that in you on top of just the way that you come off which is very friendly uh informative it seems like you want the viewer to know what's happening and what's going on it's just this is my observation mike this isn't mm-hmm. you know your, your agent didn't call me and tell me to say these things but like no. there there's there's no awkward tone you're not yelling at people you're you're teaching you're you're kind of in a way you're coaching uh,
1: if you go back to the whole beginning of this which is i i need i needed to get back into football and my dad was a teacher and a coach i grew up in a household where I thought my dad was a great teacher. I had him for eighth grade math and I had him for four years of high school football. And I didn't realize till later how great a coach and teacher he was, the more I got exposed to people. Um, So I kind of come at it from that attitude. Like, okay, football's a really cool game. And I don't want to overwhelm people with uh, jargon, but I do want to help them learn the game better because I believe in, uh, the intricacies and the beauty of the game, and I think uh, that's how I approach it. And um, I spend all my time with the, with the football people. I'm on the road. I'm in the I'm in the NFL buildings. I'm on the I'm on the field before games because they're the people I want to deal with. The football guys. I I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time with the television guys. I want to spend the time with the football guys. So I'm never in the studio in Los Angeles where we're headquartered. Uh, and thankfully the NFL network recognizes and allows me to do my job the way I think I do it the best which is being out there immersed with
0: the football people when you say that you're in NFL buildings and i would assume college buildings as well um when does that process start for you each year like are are you like on the road now am, am i talking to you when you're in you know Baton Rouge or something like that or like no, no.
1: what happens is yeah, when, when the draft ends May first, I get two months off. I basically get May and June off, and I don't even look at a tape. And I and I need that t- away time as mm-hmm. much as I love football. I need I need to go hit some golf balls. I need to go to the beach. I need to spend some time with my family and friends. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and then when July hits, I start to get my lists from NFL teams of, of the rising senior class. And I start to watch tape in July of the top players at each position from their junior years while I'm also going to training camps. And I also do the NFL or the uh, preseason games for the Philadelphia Eagles. So uh, July and August is basically watching a lot of college and NFL film, doing the preseason games for the Eagles, getting to some training camps. And then we get into September and the season starts and either I'm working on a television gig or I'm doing Westwood One radio games, or whatever it is, but I'm doing games every week, again, wanting to be on the road, wanting to be out there talking to people. And while I'm doing that, I'm always watching the college tape. That's always on the road with me. It's always in the hotel room with me. Um, So I'm always making notes and, and trying to grind through as many players during the fall as I can because the really crazy time for me kicks in, call it January 1st. When most of the college season is ended, the All-Star games begin, and I've got to know a uh, hundred Senior Bowl players like the back of my hand. I go to the East-West game; that's another hundred players. So in a two-week period, I see 200 players live, um, and then we roll into the combine, which is 330 players, and then from the combine we roll into Pro Days, and then the and then the draft. So. I apologize for the long answer, but you just heard my whole boring year right there.
0: No, see, and to me it's not boring because I'm a football junkie. You know, <laughs> could you put a number on how many players you evaluate each year? It, it would probably be in the 500s.
1: No, well, I mean, it varies because it's, if it's, you it's figure 200 and minus 240, 250 guys are going to get drafted. Um, It's funny because, I mean, once you get in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I might think a guy's a, a fifth round pick, and, uh, the Oakland Raiders might think he's a free agent and vice versa. And so I have a lot of pretty good conversations around the league with all my guys. You know, with, I, I think we, I, I, so to answer your question, I think I have a pretty good feel for call up the first 150 guys because I watch an awful lot of their tape. I grind their tape. I talk with all the teams, but once you get into that, especially the sixth and seventh round, all bets are off. And a guy that one club might evaluate as the 500th player in the draft, another team might have as the 180th player in the draft. So at the end of the day, I think I do a really good job of the top 150. And then after that, it's more like I'm – I'm grinding through tape quickly. I'm trying to get a quick feel for guys. So when a guy goes at the end of the sixth round and he's an edge rusher, he's Joe Osman from Central Michigan, at least I've seen a little tape on him and I can give the guy at home a flavor for who he is.
0: You, you said that you talk with NFL teams about this kind of stuff. Do, do they call you and ask you for evaluations? And if so, do do you give them the same evaluations as you would if you were on TV? Or maybe do you – do it without the sugar coating. So, so is to say,
1: what? well, well, it's a fair question. And like any industry, um, what I had to do when I got into it was earn some respect and, you know, being on the road with the scouts and being in the buildings, I think over time, the football guys went, okay, he's almost, he's treating this like he is a scout. and, over time, I've developed a lot of good relationships like you would in any industry. Mm-hmm. And it, it's more about us comparing notes. And, uh, I might have my top five list come out on NFL network and I'll probably get, as soon as the first list hits at the beginning of the year, I'll get a bunch of funny text messages from my guys around the league and all like, you're like you kidding me. So-and-so at number four running back, you're kidding me. And what are you thinking about? Did you see him against Texas A&M? And, that's awesome because it engenders more conversations and more information. And, you know, by the time we get to the last month before the draft, I, I pretty much generate my, uh, my board, which goes, you know, rounds one through seven by position, offense and defense. And I put a board together and I start sending that board to some of my closest friends around the lake and I say, pick it apart. You know, and, and I'll get on the phone with GMs and head coaches and we have some really lively conversations about why guys are in certain areas on that board. So, and all that does again is it gives me more information as to how teams are thinking and why. So it's a really critical p- component of what I do to prepare for the draft.
0: Does that ever, does that process help you kind of finalize your opinion on a prospect? where you, you've well, you've grinded the tape on them, but you've got uh, Coach X telling you two or three things that maybe you didn't see before that you want to go back and check. Does, is that part of the process for you, too?
1: Yeah, it's a cross-check. And you know, these guys, I, I'm on the phone with some guys that I really respect. And if they tell me that they think I'm off on a guy and I need to go watch more tape, I go watch the tape. That doesn't mean I'm changing my opinion, but it means that, I respect them enough, and I'm going to go check, and, and, and I'm going to watch the film. I'm going to check my own ego, and, um, open my mind, to yeah, I could be way off here. Thank you for the information. Let me go check. I, I, I think that's the healthiest attitude you can have, and I try to kind of replicate a little bit of, of how the teams themselves go about it in their own building.
0: What information after you watch a player's film might actually lead you to change your opinion on a player? I mean, well, I mean,
1: the, the biggest, you know, we talk about red flags all the time. And, you know, sometimes I speak with college teams. Coaches ask me to come in and talk about the draft process. And I try to tell them that, you know, plus or minus 80% of their final grade is is their tape. You know, they've got to take care of their business on the field. And it's ta- a tape-based industry. But the biggest uh, red flags that can affect them are basically injuries, which they can't con- can't really control and off-the-field issues. And, you know, you start talking about off-the-field issues, and, you know, it it can dramatically affect a player's value. So you've got to be aware of any kind of major slash significant off-the-field issues, any major medical concerns. And that's the last couple weeks, three weeks before the draft. they're my main concerns is just making sure that I've got the pulse of guys that may be had to go back to the Combine medical recheck, and people are worried about a shoulder
0: or a knee or whatever. So it's never anything like, oh, wow, this guy ran a 4.38 at the Combine. That was totally unexpected. Now I've got to move him into my top five. There's never – the Combine doesn't really necessarily change your – sway your opinion, I should say.
1: all Almost all the stuff are cross-checks. So you do all the work in a vacuum watching film, and form a form uh, an opinion of a player. And then you go from there, and you're kind of like, okay, what are the cross checks? So the all-star games are, are one, level of competition. You show up, watch his work ethic, professionalism. Then you get to the combine, and you get a whole bunch of information. And, I, again, I always tell people, and it drives Rich Eisen crazy, because Rich wants to see the guy you know, run 4-2-2. Mm-hmm. And I always, say that's, I always say, Rich, that's not a story. Fast guys run fast. Slow guys run slow. It's only a story when the opposite happens. Yeah. if I think a wide receiver on film is like a four four five guy and he runs four six zero, I got to go back and check my tape, or vice versa. If a wide receiver you know runs four four five and I think he's a four six guy, I'm like, oh my god, I got to go back and see. Are my eyes off on this? And, and that's where right. I. I again would would I change a grade if I think if that cross check came up and I'm like man he ran way faster than I thought is it functional football speed or is it track speed you go got to go back and watch the film that's where I call some of my buddies and say am I off here um, so I think the whole process is a cross check and the more information you have obviously the, the hopefully the better your eva- evaluation ultimately will be
0: so there's two things that drive me crazy. As far as this, the draft process and the evaluation process goes. And the first one is when people overreact to the combine. And I think the whole cross check thing makes a lot of sense. Here's the other thing that drives me crazy. I'll watch a guy and I, I do fantasy football for CBS. So that, that's my way of staying in football. And, sure. and, and during the off season, I'll, I'll go back and I'll find as much film as I can on a player. I'll watch a guy and the first game I'll see, he's really, really good. And you know, now I'm interested mm. and this is a guy who's going to put up big stats. Uh, I'll see two or three more games and he looks absolutely nothing like the guy I saw from the first game. So maybe I I downgrade him a little bit. You know, I I do my own little miniature version of Mike Mayock and lower him down on my board. But then the kid goes to the NFL and he's a breakout, like right away as a rookie. He's a huge success. And I feel like a big fat loser because I couldn't figure that guy out. And I know it doesn't happen to you very often, but when you see a player succeed, when you thought they wouldn't, or maybe the opposite. Maybe he doesn't succeed when you thought that he would. Does it drive you crazy, or do you go back and rewatch him, maybe try and learn something from it?
1: Yeah, I think self-scouting is really important. And, uh, I mean, the situation you just described is what the scouts call flash player. And they're some of the hardest guys to figure out because they will flash on tape. They'll do something that is rare. They're physically gifted, but only at times. It can be a running back. It can be a, a three technique defensive tackle that explodes out of his stance. And you see quickness, you see power, and he's, he hacks the quarterback. And then the next two and a half games you watch, he's just a guy. Doesn't mm-hmm. do anything, just content just to lay on blocks and doesn't accelerate or, or explode to the football. And you're like, okay, which guy am I getting when I draft him? You know, and that's some of the hardest. Those flash players are really hard to do. And and I gave, you know, when I speak to these college teams, I try to give them examples about that. So they develop different practice habits. You know, you always talk about guys that flash on tape in their college career. So they say they played 25 to 40 games in college and you come out of it and you're like, man, he's talented. He's got height, weight, speed. He's got an NFL body. Why don't we see it more often? And then he goes to the senior bowl. And because he's been training and he's in the middle of a money run, he wants to be drafted higher, every play is a good play. And then again, you kinda I can't tell you how many general managers have said to me, Okay, here's the dilemma. Which guy am I getting? Once I pay him, which guy am I getting? Am I getting the guy that's just gonna be content to lay on blocks, or am I gonna get the guy that showed up at the senior bowl hungry and ready to go? And those are really hard to do. And that's why I think The NFL tries to spend so much time getting to know these kids, giving them psychological testing, trying to see, you know, I I think a guy like Mike Zimmer does a great job of identifying what he wants and being able to motivate players that sometimes weren't motivated in college. And that's a rare gift as a coach. I think all coaches think they can reach players, but I don't think all of them are able to.
0: That's part of your analysis of a player too. Sometimes is the, when you recognize that a player is a flash player, and you'll you'll say something to that effect on television. Yeah, right. Do you ever yeah. get do you ever get I mean, at, I'll
1: give you an exa- let me give you an example that uh, Zimmer took Danelle Hunter a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. defensive end at LSU, and if you watched his film in college, it was exactly what we we're talking about. You could see all this ability, but he flashed but he had the length and speed and explosion that Zimmer loves as, from a defensive end. And he's been tremendous since day one, all that consistency that we didn't see in college we're seeing now. And those are the guys that I think are the hardest to evaluate. And again, that's where to me the marriage between the personnel side of the, the business and the coaching side of the business has to be a perfect marriage and in Minnesota, I think Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer are on the same page.
0: And as far as the evaluation process, it may not, you may not be able to complete that process until you know where a player's going. And you might feel confident that, oh, this guy's going to Minnesota, just using Minnesota as an example. Uh, this is a coaching staff that has gotten the most out of players before they should be able to do it again. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah.
1: The- I, I think the fit of where they go. Um, is really a big deal. And I had a a head coach who I really respect uh, over the years kind of pulled me aside one day and we were talking about players. he was like, you know, sometimes, Mike, we get too carried away with what a player can't do. And what we need to do is identify what they can do and put them in the best position to succeed. Mm -hmm. And that sounds simple, but it it doesn't always happen like that. And I think certain coaches are – more able to do that than others.
0: That's what I was taught as far as evaluation goes. It was the, one of the first things I was taught is tell me what a player can do, not what a player can't do. So mm-hmm. it feels mm-hmm. good to hear that from you. Um, do you ever get brushback from a player or a player's family when you don't give a glowing endorsement?
1: Well, yeah, I, it's, it's really interesting because when I was doing Thursday night football games for the NFL Network, we would go through production meetings on Wednesdays with both teams. And what we, what I realized very quickly is that everything you say about a player leading up to the draft, at that point in the player's life, is the most important thing in his world. It shouldn't be, because what Mel thinks or what I think doesn't really matter. It's only what the 32 teams think. But everything you say about a player is committed to memory. And we would go into these production meetings, and depending on – what I had said about these players, it was crazy some of the stuff that would come out. I mean, we had a, several years ago, we had a game, Philadelphia at Seattle. It was Earl Thomas' rookie year. And Wednesday morning, we were in Seattle's building. We interviewed, you know, you interviewed the quarterback. And then Russell Wilson, or excuse me, um, Earl Thomas came in. And I had given him the highest grade, I think, of any defensive player in that draft. And I had him over Eric Burry, and I was, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But he walked in, this really shy kid, really nice kid, and he shook my hand. He said, Mr. Mayock, will you come out to the parking lot and take a picture with me and my mom? Because you were the one that was really behind me throughout the whole process. Wow. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then that, but listen, so later that night, the Eagles fly in, and they came in their hotel, and Shady McCoy, Sean McCoy is in the room, And I come walking in, and he looks at me. He goes, hey, Mayock, you the guru? You have me as the number four running back in the draft. That's all. He jumped all over me, and (laughs) justifiably so. I
0: was
1: like, and he did it in a funny way. And I was like, so do you remember who the three running backs went ahead of you? And he's like, hell yeah. And he's like, Donald Brown? Really? You had Donald Brown ahead of me? That's awful. And he was burying me, and that that's just an example of what happened on a weekly basis. I mean, guys
0: remember everything you say about them. But there was nothing ever that was really mean or you know, angry well, voicemail I mean, exactly. messages or angry tweets, anything like that. Oh, I've had plenty of stuff.
1: I mean, I've had plenty of stuff where guys aren't happy and um, you know, that it, it is what it is. And and what I try to do is remember that I was a 10th round draft pick and that I was pretty upset that I wasn't a third round draft pick, which I, I thought I should have been. And I took it very personally, just like they take it personally. And so I, I just try not to get carried. I, you know, I try to tell anybody that's got a problem with me, any player, I just try to say, uh, like with, with Shady McCoy, I was just like, dude, I was wrong. Yeah. So and <laughs> the funny thing is I, I root for all these guys. I really do. I mean, I don't want guys to have bad careers. I, I want young men to, 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 to bear up and, and have great careers, be good people in the community. I mean, I root for all these guys, but I try to keep in mind that if I, if I didn't give them the evaluation they thought they deserved, it's a very personal thing and for the player, and I've got to respect that and give them some space.
0: Okay. So over the last 20 years, you've made the ascension from sideline reporter to uh, draft expert. And I, I'm just – Gonna ask a question, put it out there. Is is this now the the highest point of the mountain that you're climbing? Is this the pinnacle of it, or are you aspiring to do even more as a football guy?
1: Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was doing Thursday night football and Notre Dame games. You know, I had two national games a week sometimes, um, and you got to understand as much as. I get frustrated because I think people pay a lot of attention, and, and it's nice. People, people respect my draft work for the most part, and that's awesome. But my favorite thing in the world to do is to call a game. I love doing games. I, I love smelling the grass, and getting up in the booth before the game. I love having nervousness in my stomach. And when the game starts, you either know what you're talking about or you don't. And, and I love that. It's, it's the closest you can get to playing again. So I'm frustrated that I don't have those kind of games to do anymore. That bothers me. Uh, and I'd like to do them again. So that's one thing I'd like to do. And, and I've also had some opportunities to go into the league on the personnel side. And for different reasons, the opportunity never really worked out. Right time, right place, right situation. But if, if the right situation came up, I still would love to get involved on the personnel side for an
0: NFL team. Well, look, it, it comes off in your broadcasts that you love what you do. Um, I, Whenever I hear you on the radio, when I heard you on TV, when you did the games for Thursday Night Football, always informative. And, of course, you're extremely informative and at the top of the charts when it comes to uh, draft evaluations. And uh, I appreciate the time and getting to know you a little bit better. And now I know a lot more about you when I see you on TV next time.
1: Well, I appreciate you doing the homework. Thank you.
0: You got it, Mike. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you down the line. Really appreciate everything that you do.